Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Quarterly Report. I am your host, Armand Lee. On this week's show, I will be giving you my top five pound-for-pound list ahead of this weekend's huge matchup between Errol Spence Jr. and Kell Brook. Also, I'm going to be weighing in on the debate culture in sports and why it is the worst thing that has happened in the industry. All that and so much more, but let's get it going with our first topic. The Golden State Warriors are the most impressive professional basketball team in terms of a dynasty that I've seen in quite some time. I don't want to be hyperbolic. I don't want to say they're the greatest team I've seen ever. Um, But when you talk about their entire three-year run that they're currently on, man, it's tough to really put any other team by them. I mean, just look at this season, right? Obviously, they swept through the entire Western Conference playoffs. That's in in and of itself is not something that's unprecedented. But they've won most of their games by double digit. Like their their average margin of win, I want to say it's close to 16 points a game. That's absurd. That's crazy. And then you just think like, Yes, they caught a break not playing the Spurs with a healthy Kawhi. But even so, they just dismantled the Spurs after they completely dominated the Jazz and made light work of the Blazers. So we really got to start thinking to ourselves, man, are the Warriors ruining basketball? Not because they don't play an exciting style of basketball. Like, their brand of hoops is amazing. It's fun. But there's no competition. And I talked to you guys a few weeks ago about how the work stoppage in 2010 helped lead to this Warriors squad. But that's a real simplistic way of looking at kind of the birth of this team. For the Warriors to be in this position that they're in now, it was kind of like a perfect storm of events. And I'm going to recap some of them to see like, yo, Not only did everything have to go right, did everything have to fall into place for the Warriors to be kind of born, but I don't know which team breaks them up. You know what I mean? Like they are positioned for another three-year run. And once you start to kind of think bigger picture, you start to look at the NBA landscape and you're like, yo, I don't know of any team, any team barring injury is positioned to even compete with them. And that includes Cleveland. So, again, a lot of people, you know, myself included, I've talked to you guys about the work stoppage and how, you know, the NBA wanted to bring competitive balance to smaller markets. But in actuality, all they did was kind of put a cap on smaller market teams. And you've seen big markets like Oakland, like San Francisco, the Bay Area, just dominate. And whatever team that LeBron is on. You know what I mean? But the Warriors didn't benefit from the lockout, per se. They benefited from Steph Curry's weak ankles when he first came into the league. You remember, Steph Curry probably has the best valued contract in the history of professional sports relative to his era. Steph Curry, I want to say he makes a little bit over $12 million dollars. He's the two-time reigning MVP, the only unanimous MVP in the history of basketball. But the fact that he took such a discounted contract, and it wasn't discounted at the time because when he resigned, no one knew Steph Curry was this, and he had legitimate health concerns. But you're getting one of the best players in basketball, and you're only having to pay him $12 million. So you've got that, you know what I mean, going for you. So you've got literally another $12 million in cap space that you don't have to pay your team's best player. But then, and this is the part that people forget or overlook all the time. You know, we as fans, we in the media, we always say, oh man, once you make a certain amount of money, you know, you should be able to get the hometown discount and you should take some, you know, you don't need the most money that you you can earn. You should take a little bit less for happiness. And while, you know, on paper, that sounds right. When 
elite players don't take the maximum amount of money that they can earn, especially when their teams have the money to give it to them. You get yourselves in this position where you have super teams, teams that literally look like they're invincible. Case in point, I remember when LeBron went to Miami, he and Dwayne Wade took less than the maximum contract allowed, right? And it wasn't a huge, you know, discount. But again, they took enough less so that guys like Ray Allen could come in, Mike Miller. Those Heat teams don't win those two championships, obviously, without Mike Miller going crazy. I think he hit, what, seven threes in one finals game? And then, of course, we know what Ray Allen did against the Spurs. Guys take less for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just some kind of show of goodwill. When teams are able to get their best players to take less, that's money that they can then allocate to other solid NBA players. And then we as fans then revolt. Like, oh, it's not fair. You know, how is it that Miami can have all these guys? Well, it's because those guys in Miami did what fans forever have always asked of their stars, take less. And now in Golden State, it's even worse. You forget. I mean, I'm talking about like the perfect storm of events that had to happen in favor of Golden State for this super team, a team that may be ruining basketball. And that's not hyperbole. That's real. All these things had to happen. Steph Curry had to be injured, and he had to take, at the time, it didn't seem like he was taking less, right? It seemed like that was a fair market value. But just a few years later, we all realized, wow, that was kind of the one piece that happened that put all of this in motion. But before the the huge NBA, you know, salary boom, you know, before the TV deals took into place and the salary cap, kind of skyrocketed clay thompson and draymond green they their rookie contracts came up so when it came time for them to sign their new deal their second contracts they didn't have to worry about or the warriors the front office didn't have to worry about these crazy high contracts however even without the large super contracts that we have now both clay thompson and Draymond Green, arguably top three players at their position, right? They both took less than a max. Now, they didn't take huge discounts like LeBron and Dwayne Wade didn't take huge discounts. But every dollar matters, right? Because had they not taken those small discounts, they wouldn't have been able to sign Kevin Durant. So all these things add up. All of these things had to play a part, you know, and the, all the stars and the planets lined up for that. Steph Curry's making significantly less money than he would be making otherwise because of his ankles. Klay Thompson took less than a max. Draymond Green took less than a max. Those Both of those players took less than a max when the Warriors could have, they had the money to offer it to them. Right. So with all those all those dollars then add up to where the Warriors, they renounce a few players, they trade a few players and boom, they can sign Kevin Durant. And now we're in a position to where we are really starting to wonder not only will the Warriors win this year, but how many championships will they win down the road? Because the only thing that I can see to break up those, this Warriors run, this Warriors mini dynasty, is whenever one of these guys decide to leave. And it's probably going to be Clay. You know, Clay Strike, he's the same guy who was like, he's not sacrificing bleep this offseason. You know, so at some point, with these contracts the way they are and the money that's out there, these guys are going to get sick of taking a pay cut doing what we as fans always ask of our star players. And that's the only thing that I can see, barring injury, that will stop this Warriors juggernaut. Because, and I'm going to talk to my guest this week, Keely Divin, in a, in a moment. Think of the free agents who are out there this offseason. Think of the guys whose name always comes up 
in trade talks. We're talking Jimmy Butler, Carmelo Anthony, you know, free agents, Gordon Hayward, possibly Blake Griffin. Put any of those guys on any team and ask yourself, would that team then be able to beat the Warriors? The answer is no. The answer is no. They have Kevin. This team won 73 games a year ago. They were up three games to one. And had Draymond Green not kick LeBron James in the groin, they probably win in five last year, win their second straight NBA championship. And then they add Kevin Durant. Not because they needed him. They didn't need him. They won 73 games last year. They got him just because they could. Like the ultimate flex. We're going to get probably the second best basketball player because all these other guys took less than a max. And we can. And we're going to link up like Voltron and flex on the entire league. And because they've done it, they made the end. Not only have they made the regular season pretty much obsolete, they've taken all of the drama out of the Western Conference playoffs. And it seems like this is going to be the move for years to come. So, you know, next time we ask for our favorite players to take less than a max, pump the brakes and it's like, you know what? Let the market dictate what players should be making. Because once great players start taking a pay cut, it throws the entire system off. And now we're just waiting until the Warriors fall off. Not because another team beats them, but because they're sick of spending so much money. That was the first quarter. I am Armand Lee. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armand, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. And follow the show. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. That's one quarter down. We got three more to go. Next up, I welcome my guest this week, CSN Mid-Atlantic's Keely Divin. Second quarter. You can catch her stuff at csnminatlantic.com. I'm joined now by the talented Keely Divin. And Keely, we're going to get right at it. Um, the Warriors have steamrolled the entire Western Conference uh, for the third straight year, making their third straight finals appearance. I want to say that they've got the best record a three-year record in the postseason. And this postseason, they've won by an average of close to 16 points each game. These are numbers that are unheard of throughout the history of the league. So the question I ask to you is, are the Warriors good or are the Warriors bad for basketball? So I bring a real serious bias to this. I am a Warriors fan. I root for Steph Curry because I went to Davidson. Um, and I was watching the Warriors religiously all through last year's run um, and through the playoffs. I was, you know, white-knuckled during the Thunder series. And this year, honestly, I haven't been watching. It hasn't been fun. It hasn't felt to me like there was a real legitimate chance that they weren't going to win in the end. I, okay, is it good for the NBA or bad for the NBA? I think it's a little bit different question than is it entertaining, but I'm not right. entertained. And if you're a yeah. diehard Warrior fan that's not entertained, then what? Yeah, I mean, you know, you and I talked about this the other day. You want to have one of your marquee teams play an exciting brand of basketball, which obviously the Warriors do. And you want to display two of the league's biggest, brightest stars, which Golden State does as well with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. However, you still want some intrigue. You want some level of competition. You want some drama. And the Warriors, it's not just that they're winning. It's that they're completely dominating everyone they play. So at some point, it then becomes like, yo, what's the point? Yeah, what? What are we doing here, dude? If the Spurs are playing the Warriors competitively in the West, that's been the story of the of the Warriors, you know, playoff dominance. They've always had to worry about the Spurs, right? And now that what what's happening? Like, who who's their real competition besides besides the Cavs? The scary thing is when you think about it, the Warriors are really just one dumb Draymond Green, you know, groin swing away from 
trying to get a three-peat, right? Like last year, I feel the Warriors, had Draymond not gotten suspended, would have beaten Cleveland in five games. So now, like, you know, this whole season has been, you know, about the the rubber match, right? The trilogy between Golden State and Cleveland. And I got to be honest, I don't think Cleveland stands a chance against Golden State. So then it's kind of like this whole season has been just this one long coronation. Really? No, I don't think they stand a chance. You know what I mean? It's I think like, that there's, enough, there's enough animosity there that I think that LeBron is going to, you know, try to pull something out of a hat. Um, I, think, I don't think they win, but I think that Cleveland is the only team that Matt, like, is the only team that can take a game off the Warriors, at least. But think about that, right? Like, you just said it. Now we're discussing on can a team at least just get a game? You know what I mean? Like, that's where the bar is. Yeah, I mean, and the Western Conference playoffs, let's be honest, should be a holiday. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, I should be celebrating the Western Conference playoffs. I should be inviting people over to watch games. I should be <laughs> really intrigued by the matchups. I should be, but no, dude. Nobody yeah. thought that the Spurs had a prayer and then Kawhi goes down, which is obviously not the Warriors' fault. Well, right. depending on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> but, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's a spurt. How? I don't understand in what world it's good for the NBA. All right, I'm joined now by digital producer for CSN Mid-Atlantic and good friend of the show, Keely Divin. All right, so with all that being said, you know, this offseason, there's really not that many marquee names available in free agency, right? Chris Paul is probably the biggest name, but the likelihood of him leaving Los Angeles is rather slim. So you have Blake Griffin, Gordon Hayward, as uh, free agent uh, players. And then you've got some guys who are, depending on who you believe, available via trade, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Car- Carmelo Anthony. So in this hypothetical situation, is there any team that you can see or envision making a move or two that would then put them in a position next season to end a potential fourth straight Cleveland Golden State Finals. No, oh, that's, sorry. That, that's not, um, so I guess the closest. What, what if like the Spurs somehow made room and signed Chris Paul or something like that, and then they if they had Kawhi and Chris Paul and Lamarcus Aldridge, who is useless in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. What's he doing? And that's the crazy thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, think about that for a second, right? Hypothetically speaking. Um, for the sake of argument, let's just say Chris Paul decides to go to San Antonio and link up with Kawhi Leonard and LaMarcus Aldridge. I still don't think that Spurs team beats this version of the Warriors, and they I doubt that they'd be favored to do so. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they definitely. I, I think that I think that having a chance is different than being favored, though, right? Right. I think the best the best potential threat, the best potential chance. Maybe as if Chris Paul, if you're Chris Paul, or maybe even not a Gordon Hayward. Maybe I don't know. But in the East, you have to really the only other per, the only other team that looks like they could really contend. And I'm sorry, Wizards fans, um, <laughs> they could contend with Cleveland is Boston because of Boston. the assets that they have. Right. And if they can move, they can make moves and bring in and make a trade for Paul George, and they get Markel Fultz. And we don't know how great he's going to be, but a lot of people are very excited about him. If you ask uh, our uh, former Damatha coworkers, they're going to tell you that um, they're going to get all on the Markel full tie train. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. Markel full, potentially a Paul George, and yep. keep Avery Bradley. Yeah, Boston's in a really good position. You know what I mean? Like, they not only have the number one pick in this year's draft, but they probably have the number one pick in next year's draft in all likelihood. They also have cap space, so they can either absorb a max player or sign a max player outright this offseason. So, um, you know, we don't know. Obviously, they're not close as things stand now, but they are positioned well enough that if they really wanted to go for it, and um and build not just for the future but for right now 
They absolutely could. I still don't know if it's enough to dethrone Cleveland, but I feel like they're the closest team. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to – but, again, they'd have to make so many – they have to make a lot of moves. I mean, it's not like they're they're close right now. Right. Once again, I'm joined now by CSN Mid-Atlantic's digital producer, Keely Divin, and as she said earlier, uh, she went to school with and uh, somewhat of a friend of Steph Curry. So we're going to talk about Steph Curry's teammate now, Kevin Durant. Um, my feelings on KD are, are a bit mixed. I understand why he left. While I don't like the fact that he went to Golden State, I understand it. Um, but a lot of the reason why the the talk about this year's playoffs and whether Golden State is bad for the league has come about because Durant chose to play at Golden State. So all that being said, do you feel that Kevin Durant needs more than just one championship to have his legacy solidified? Like, would winning this championship be enough to silence the Durant can't win critics? Or does he need something more? That's an interesting question because you talk about Kevin Durant is in a bad situation. He came right. to the league in a bad time. Think about how many players, like how many great players haven't won. First of all, winning something does count. But what kind of legacy is he going to cement in the first place? Like, unless he rattles off, unless like unless he has, what, like three or four titles or something like that, there's no way that he overtakes his contemporary and legacy in, in LeBron. And you right. also have Steph Curry. Kevin Durant might not even be the best player on his team. I mean, yeah. and also, there's never, you're never going to get over the, the need to have joined a super team in order, in order to win. But, I mean, his, what are his alternatives? Yeah, it's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like, it's multi-layered because Durant, he and Russ, they should have beat the Warriors last year in the Western Conference Finals. They were literally like two and a half minutes away from doing that. Um, But they didn't. And then he goes to the team that eliminates him, right? It was a, a pretty significant choke job. And then he goes to the team that beats him. So... He's already got that knock against him. And, you know, like you were saying, he may not even be the best player on his team. Like, that's a relative, like, that's a reasonable debate that can be had. So, you know how we do things in the media. I don't know if just winning a championship would be enough to kind of silence the critics that he has. Plus, you know, he's, I feel like he would have to need to be a finals MVP, but people forget Steph Curry has never won a finals MVP. You know what I mean? So that could be an interesting dynamic to see like, you know, all year long, they've seemed to put their egos aside. But one of the criticisms of Steph has been that he doesn't play well in the finals. One of the criticisms of KD is that he can't play big in big moments. So that would be interesting to see how those guys play because, you know, both of them, you know, want to be called, quote unquote, the man. Yeah, I mean, so honestly, I maybe I'm biased, but I think that team, everything that team does is because of the spacing uh, created by Steph and Clay Thompson. Kevin Durant is gravy. I think that they, even if he was still on the Thunder, I think that the Warriors would still potentially be favored over the Cavs. Um, in a final three match. Now they are a super team, and they're, you know, less fun to watch. But I think that Kevin Durant, if we're talking about legacy, what is his possible best legacy? There's no way. I mean, if, if the Warriors win again and say they do it, and this is Steph's second ring, and he had back-to-back league MVPs, and then you also have LeBron James, who, you know, will be going to, what is it, his seventh straight finals this year, um, and with all his rings, there's no way that Kevin Durant is going to be viewed as the best player in his generation. Well, you know, I think LeBron pretty much has this generation on lock as being the greatest player of this era. But that second spot is absolutely up for grabs. Um, I definitely think Kevin Durant, in terms of talent, is right there, you know, behind LeBron. But he does need to, you know, come through in the finals. And I don't know if just winning a championship will be enough to silent, to silence those questions about him. I think he 
you know, if he has a great performance in the finals, that's one thing. But, you know, I don't know if anything less than that would be enough because, you know, again, how we do in the media. Because if he just wins a ring, then it's like, okay, well, yeah, we know he's a great player, but is he more James Worthy than Magic or Kareem? Right, Kevin Durant looks like a hanger-on right now. Right. For a player that talented, that's tough. But, I mean, again, Kevin Durant's legacy, is so, he's so much a victim of circumstance, in my opinion. He would be a generational talent if he had picked a different generation. Yeah, those are the breaks. But, you know what? Right now, Durant has the opportunity to, you know, kind of to erase some of his skeptics and some of his past failures with an amazing performance in the finals. So, we'll all be watching. Keely? Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report, and uh, we're going to have to have you back on soon. Thank you so much for having me. Let's do it again soon. Once again, big shout-out to Keely Divin, digital producer at CSN Mid-Atlantic. Make sure you check out her stuff there. All right, you guys heard the horn, so you know that means it's time for halftime. But before we go there, make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. Also, subscribe to the podcast. All you have to do is go to iTunes, search The Quarterly Report. That's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. You'll see the icon, click on it, and subscribe. Plus, while you're at it, please make sure you rate and review the show. Let me know what you like and maybe what you don't like about the show. All right, so that's enough house cleaning for the moment. Let's get back to halftime, and this week... I'm going to bring two forces that mean so much to me together. That's right. Bill Walton may be the greatest color analyst of all time and my beautiful baby girl, Chloe Lee. Somehow, someway, those two forces that mean so much to me collide in an epic halftime that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Check it out. It's time now for Bill Walton's Words of Wisdom. If Eric Piakowski continues playing at this level, he's going to replace Jerry West on the NBA logo. It's funny. Yesterday we celebrated Sir Isaac Newton's discovery of gravity. Today, Fabrizio Alberto is the finder. <laughs> Come on, that was no foul. It may be a violation of all the basic rules on human decency, but it's not a foul. That was Bill Walton's words of wisdom. Do it down one time, one time. <laughs> Yeah, man, that's my little snookums. And, of course, the legendary Bill Walton. You know, the funny thing is, like, if you're 25 or younger, you don't know Bill Walton as anything other than, like, the crazy guy who does West Coast college basketball games with Dave Pash. But, like, for guys my age and older, Bill Walton used to do the NBA Finals. Like, imagine the biggest game, the A game, and hearing Bill Walton just randomly <laughs> talk about Picasso or just <laughs> single out Eric Piakowski. It's so funny, man. And, you know, what better than linking up the wonderful mind of Bill Walton with the most amazing little girl with my daughter. So shout out to Chloe. But... You know, all the fun, all the silliness is over. Third quarter is coming at you right now. Third quarter. If you know me or if you've listened to any of the previous episodes of this podcast, first, thank you. <laughs> but you know that I am a diehard boxing fan. Like, I love boxing. It's my second favorite sport. Um, and if you're a boxing fan... We're in a really good space, a really good season right now because there's so many great fights on deck featuring so many great fighters. Again, this weekend, one of my favorite fighters, he's looking to get his first strap, Errol Spence Jr. He's going to fight Kell Brook. And why 
while I really am a huge fan of Arrow, he's not quite yet ready to get on, you know, my pound for pound list. You know, everybody who follows any combat sport, the term pound for pound always comes up. So, you know, this will be the first time that I will debut my pound for pound list on the quarterly report. Now, if you follow me on Twitter or at least follow the show, the show has already released these, but I, I thought about it a little bit more. You know, I watched Terrence Crawford, who is, if he, I've got him as the second best American fighter, but you could absolutely make the case that he's the best American fighter. Hell, you can make the case that he's the best fighter in the world right now. Shout out to my guy, Ivan Carter. I was talking to him earlier this week, and he was telling me how, you know, he's kind of feeling Bud as the number one guy. And this weekend, he fought Felix Diaz, a good fighter, you know, a really good fighter. But, man, it was just on full display just how amazing Terrence Crawford, his nickname is Bud, um, just how amazing he was. I mean, just slipping, like getting through defense, cutting off the ring, working the body. I mean, he usually switches stance stances, but he didn't this fight. He fought, I want to say, completely southpaw, and it was light work. And again, Diaz is a good fighter. But it got me thinking. You know, I was like, man, do I really need to reevaluate how I have my list? So I'm going to do that for you guys right now, okay? A lot of these guys are household names. I mean, maybe a few. Some guys I will leave off that you guys may be thinking, oh, that's crazy. He doesn't have such and such on this list. But it's my list. You understand? And this is how I feel. Everyone's pound for pound list should look like. If you disagree, hit me up on Twitter and we can have a reasonable back and forth. All right. So without any further ado, my fifth best fighter in the world, pound for pound. You know, I'm debuting this list on the quarterly report. I'm going to have to go with the guy who I feel casual boxing fans know and love because he has an awesome nickname and he fight he's the most exciting fighter at least in my opinion that i've seen as an adult of course i'm talking about gennady golovkin triple g he is my fifth rated fighter on the pound for pound list again he is such an exciting fighter he's so dominant he's so skilled but the reason i have him five is because we really haven't seen him against elite fighters yet. So it's really just we assume he's amazing or we know he's amazing. We just don't know how amazing, right? Iron sharpens iron and Golovkin, with the exception of maybe three fights, really just two. But I'll give you David Lemieux. He hasn't really been tested, right? The best fighter he's ever fought was Kell Brook. Kell Brook is a welterweight. Kell Brook moved up two weight classes, you know, and fought Golovkin. And Golovkin stopped him. It was a TKO. But Brook, at least in my opinion, he was winning the fight. You know, he just, he wasn't used to that weight. He was getting touched, but he was touching Golovkin too. And then his most recent fight, Daniel Jacobs, and went 12 rounds. It ended his, you know, knockout streak. And... Golovkin looked a little, he didn't look as dominant, you know, and Jacobs, because he went the distance with Golovkin, everyone was singing his praises. And, you know, some people say he won. I don't think he won. I think Golovkin was the winner of that fight. But because he went the distance against Golovkin, everybody's making him out like he's, you know, the hitman, hitman Hearns. And I'm like, let's chill. Like, Jacobs, he's a fine fighter. But he's so big, he doesn't work the jab. You could tell he was awkward against Golovkin. And what I'm saying is, I'm not the biggest Canelo fan, but Canelo will easily be the best opponent that Golovkin has ever faced in September, right? We know that. Golovkin's not the best opponent that Canelo's faced, and I'm not certain that he's the second best opponent that Canelo has faced. You know, one of the things about Golovkin, and I've touched on this earlier in episodes, he didn't fight Andre Ward, who I'll talk about later on my pound-for-pound pound list. And he didn't fight Arislandi Lara, 
who's not on my pound for pound list, but is clearly better than anyone Golovkin has faced, especially at middleweight. So while you can watch Golovkin fight and just kind of be in awe of his power and his his command of the ring, you don't know just how great he is because he hasn't been in there with great competition. So he's number five on my list. Number four, Terrence Crawford. And it's this was tough because honestly, you could tell me Terrence Crawford is one, two, three, or four really on your list. And I'd understand. And it'd be a part of me that would want to argue why he should be higher. Like, Bud is the real deal. He has dominated junior welterweights. He, unlike Golovkin, we've seen him against Victor Postal. We've seen him, you know, Felix Diaz is a good fighter. I think Postal will be what is the best fighter that Bud has fought. But he's been in there with some top guys, especially in his weight class. Bud is in a weird position where he's like, look, I want to fight the best of the best. Let me see you guys, right? The problem is Terrence Crawford at this point, he's not box office. He's not a pay-per-view guy. He's just a really great fighter. And that's fine. But we're still kind of transitioning from boxers wanting that big pay-per-view. You know what I mean? So Crawford's calling out Pacquiao. I don't think Pacquiao takes it because at this point in Pacquiao's career, there's no reason to get in the ring with Bud because it's not going to make any money. Like Pacquiao could fight 10 other guys and draw the same amount, if not more, than fighting Crawford. And if you get in there with Crawford, you're probably going to get hurt. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, Pacquiao's past his prime. But the thing I love about Bud, man, again, he can switch stances. He's a southpaw. He can fight orthodox. It's amazing. He works the body. He's so sharp. He's so smart. And he wants it. You can tell. You know what I mean? Like, he called out Keith. I mean, Keith Thurman, he's a welterweight champion. You know, he's dealing with uh, recovering from surgery right now. But Thurman don't want it with Bud. He's probably going to. I don't even know if they, if he would fight him. It'd be amazing. But I don't think he wants it with him. You know, uh, like I said, he called out Pacquiao. Uh, Danny Garcia, I'm sure Bud would be cool to move up. I mean, he's cleaned up his division and the only thing left for him to do is to move up like i said i don't have earl on my list yet but i tweeted this out this weekend because you can kind of see it it's like drake and kendrick you can see those two guys are like the the cream of the crop of this generation and at some point drake and kendrick they're just going to have to get at it you know they've been dropping subliminals at some point they're going to have to go at it similarly earl and bud they're going to have to go at it, and it's probably going to be in a year and a half to two years. And when that happens, mark this down, it is going to be amazing. Hopefully nobody gets tripped up along the way, but you can just see these two great fighters, two skilled and both American fighters, and you can see them building momentum and just dominating their craft. So hopefully we get that in a not too distant future. So he's number four. Tied for second is, of course, Andre Ward and Sergey Kovalev. Thankfully, they're going to have a rematch. And I say tie for a second because it's tough. When I watched them fight their first fight, I personally thought it was a draw. You know, there are three, there are three outcomes that could have happened. It could have been a draw. Kovalev could have won, and Ward could have won. Ward got the win. But if you were to ask me to rate the three outcomes... I had Ward winning last. You know, I thought it was a draw, so I can't be too mad at the outcome because I thought it was a draw, and there were some close rounds. However, I didn't think Ward won. If you asked me to, again, rank the outcomes, Ward winning would have finished last. So while I can't penalize Ward because he actually got the win, I don't feel right dropping Kovalev because I thought he had a better, him winning made more sense to me than Ward. Luckily, you know, in boxing, we got to, you know, we've gotten rid of all the BS and a lot of the politics. So they're going to square up and they're going to go again in a matter of weeks. And after that fight, hopefully we have a bit more closure of like which fighter is the best. But this is something that the sport has lacked in so long. Right. The two best guys fighting. Right. 
Forget about all the other BS. Forget about the purse. Forget about politics. This guy's top ranked. This guy's not. Whatever. These two guys were clearly the best. Ward cleaned up the middleweight division. Golovkin wanted no problem with them. Kovalev is a walking, breathing monster. You know, Andre moved up two weight classes to take on a monster, and they gave us a great fight with a with a really controversial and dramatic finish. And we're going to get it again. They're going to run it back. And that's why I love the sport so much, and that's why I'm glad we have progressed so much when it comes to the sweet science because now guys just want to scrap. It's like, let's, yo, I think I'm the best. You think you're the best. Let me kick your ass and we'll find out. And we're going to get this rematch and hopefully it will clear up the picture a little bit more because again, I can't, I can't knock down Kovalev, but I can't knock down Ward because he got the win. So those two guys right now, I have tied for second. So that means there's only one spot left. And of course, y'all know, already know who it is. It's Vitaly Lomachenko. This dude is amazing. You know what I mean? Like, when you hear me break down my pound for pound list already, I'm talking about who you fought. Have you cleaned out your division? And how, how much command or the mastery that you have over your craft. You can check off the list when it comes to Lomachenko. Gary Russell God bless that man. Shout out to Gary Russell because, you know, he's from the area. He's a great fighter himself. He can't live down the Lomachenko fight. He still talks about it to this day. Like Lomachenko dominated him, you know, and he cleaned out that division. I would have loved to see him fight Rigonel, you know, but, you know, it didn't happen. But what Lomachenko has done since then, Nicholas Walters, I view him completely differently now than I do after the Lomachenko fight. And it's because he quit. And Walters asked, man, he wasn't just some regular guy. He was an he was an elite fighter. He was viewed as a top prospect. And Lomachenko beat him to the point where he quit. And Lomachenko was playing with him. Lomachenko was a bad boy. He is he's the best boxer in this world today. And that's why he tops my list on the first ever pound-for-pound pound quarterly report list. I'll be updating this list as the weeks and months progress. But again, for my fight heads out there, I want to know what you guys think. I feel like my list is airtight, but I'm open, you know, to hearing your viewpoint. So make sure you hit me on Twitter. I'm at Armand, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. Or hit me up at the show's Twitter page, Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Hit me up there on Twitter and let me know what you think about my list, what's your pound-for-pound list, and let me know on Saturday when Kel Brook and Errol Spence fight. I'll be live-tweeting from that account, so make sure you let me know your thoughts on that fight. All right, guys, so... We got one last quarter to go. We're going to finish up strong with my fourth topic this week. Quarter. We are now living in a debate culture. ESPN first take, I guess it's their most popular show. It has the moniker Embrace Debate. And while I oftentimes go back and forth with my loved ones, you know, sometimes I can't help myself. My sister tells me this all the time. There'll be times when I'm arguing just to argue, even though I know I'm wrong, you know, and I can't help it. It's almost like a, a reflex. But as I get older, as I get older, I've realized that I can't I don't really enjoy watching that or listening to that type of, you know, program. And I'm almost to the point where I don't even like going back and forth. I only do it almost because of pride. You know what I mean? And it's funny because I used to always do it, whether it's at was at work. I used to love PTI. I don't watch PTI anymore. I used to love going back and forth. People would say I work in a sports network. And then, of course, every guy in the room wants to argue with me about some type of sports topic. And I used to love that, Jane, you know, because I was like, yo, I bet. Let me flex on you real quick. I got time. This is what I like to do. 
But a funny thing happened, you know, as I've gotten older, I started to realize, you know, when people say, quote unquote, debate, what they really mean is they just want to hear themselves talk. Like, how many times have you been in a discussion, a debate, whatever it may be, with a friend, maybe a, a loved one, significant other, whatever, and you know, right, you are bring, you're coming to the table trying to listen, and it's quite evident that the other person, they just want to be heard. They don't want to discuss anything. They don't want to try to see your point or your perspective. They're like, look, this is what I got to say, and you're going to hear me. And I feel like that's kind of been where we are now in terms of not even just sports discussion. You turn on like cable news and it's like a, a panel full of like 11 people and they're all just yelling on top of each other. And like, you can't even hear like I, I at one point I understood why that was exciting television. But now that just turns me off completely. I can't stand that type of television or radio for that matter. You know, my favorite radio shows either very rarely or never have phone calls because people just yellow. You know what I mean? I don't even know what the hell they're talking about. Half the time, their points aren't really clear. And then the host just kind of suns them, you know what I mean? Or dismisses them. I don't want, I ain't got time for that. You know what I mean? And that's unfortunate, you know what I mean? Because the basic idea of debate is for people who have different viewpoints, different perspectives to communicate. And then hopefully if you're skilled, you can shed some light and, uh, you know, give someone with the aha moment and then have you, you know, this is ideally you would be able to be so good at expressing yourself and your perspective that you would then at that moment be able to turn someone's kind of, you know, intellect to want to say, oh man, I've never thought about it like that. You're right. But how many times has that ever happened? You know what I mean? Like we as adults, maybe when you were a child, when you were still very impressionable and you trusted more, but we as human being, uh, human adults, we're very cynical. And I was talking to my friend about this some months ago. And I was like, when was the last time you actually had a discussion with someone? And at that moment, you know, they could be the greatest communicator and they can express their points perfectly and they can give you examples and historical references and they're just A plus on their way of debating. And at that moment, you're like, man, you got me. You're right. I see the light. Very rarely does that happen. You know what I'm saying? I like to think of myself as a pretty open-minded person, but pride is a mother. You understand? And sometimes this happens with my sister all the time. She'll tell me something and I know she's right, but I will still partly because I'm a younger brother and I'm a jerk for that. You know what I'm saying? But partly it's just because I just want to continue to argue and want to be heard. You know what I'm saying? And that happens, I think, to all of us. So the whole premise of the debate to to let you to let someone, you know, express themselves and change your mind. I don't even feel that we even think like that because usually what happens is someone will tell you something and they could be perfect a plus on how they communicate it to you, but you won't let go like pride or whatever it is. Won't let you see their perspective because you're engaged. So it's almost like a competition, you know, and you're like, man, I'm not going to lose. So then it takes something to directly happen to you or your loved ones for you to then circle back and like, okay, that person was right. Or maybe you have some type of introspective moment later, not at that moment. And then you kind of recap and you're like, okay, maybe I was right. Or maybe I was wrong. That person was right, but it never happens at that moment. So what's the point? And we've got debate culture all over the place. Slim, I couldn't believe it. After game four of the Cavaliers Celtics Eastern Conference playoff series, there were people arguing whether Kyrie Irving was better than Scottie Pippen debating. And I was just like, I'm not even going to engage with anybody like this, because if you if you have already told yourself 
that Kyrie Irving is better than Scottie Pippen at this point of his career, what can I say? Like, what can I say to sway you? The stats are all there. This is the information age. So if you if you are going to come up with that, I would assume you would have already found a way to disqualify all the statistics that Scottie Pippen has accumulated. You know what I mean? Defense doesn't matter. So so how would I disarm that argument? You know, I could talk about all defensive teams, but you already know Kyrie is not a good defensive player. I can tell you how Kyrie's never made the playoffs without LeBron James, but you already know that. So the whole the whole back and forth debate, hot take type of thing, it's just a, a fool's exercise. You know what I mean? Because we have come to a point where we have closed ourselves off to hearing other people, to allowing ourselves to be moved. I don't know when it happened. And again, I'm not I'm not lecturing anybody because I raised my hand. I've done it myself. But I tried to make sure that I always keep kind of an open mind about that when I do engage, even though now I don't engage that much because I'm just worn out because the whole embrace debate culture is everywhere. We argue about everything and no one ever comes to a conclusion. Everybody sticks their flag in wherever they are and they don't budge. And that goes completely against the actual foundational, you know, premise of debate. Debating is to kind of articulate and communicate to a point where someone, I don't want to say when, because I think the whole competitive nature of our society now has moved us to the point where debating is just, it's just pointless because no one ever budges, no matter what you say, you know, if you feel that Magic Johnson is the greatest basketball player of all time, no one and someone else says it's Michael Jordan, too bad, bro. You know, y'all just going to have a stalemate. You know, I can tell you why I feel Sugar Ray Robinson is the greatest boxer of all time. But if you are a staunch Muhammad Ali guy, it's not going to work. You know, half the time when we get in these discussions, we're not even saying anything new. It's all the same recycled talking points. So, People have been conditioned to counterpunch those talking points. And like I said in an earlier episode, consistency. If you can if you can debate someone who is consistent, man, take a picture of that person. And tell them I love them. God bless them. Because consistency, I feel like we all miss out on that. And arguing with someone or debating with someone who can't be consistent with their own thoughts and premises. Oh, my God. That's the most frustrating thing in the world. Hopefully, there was no frustration with you when you were listening to this episode of The Quarterly Report. Thank you again for listening. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. Also, follow the show. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Once again, I'm Armon Lee. Thank you so much for listening to The Quarterly Report.